Hey folks, welcome to the first ever episode of the Unpacked podcast. I'm Viggy. And I'm James. And we're excited to bring this to you. Uh, the motivation for us to do this was there's a lot of news in the world of tech and tech adjacent things where there's a lot of coverage at a more surface level without peeling a lot of different layers. And a few weeks back, I started writing the Unpacked Substack where I pick a topic once a week and kind of dive deep into it in what I hope is a fairly analytical way. And uh, we're trying to bring a similar approach to this in a more conversational part format through this podcast. And to the conversational aspect of that, Viggy and I have worked together and, and have broken down complex problems together. And I think the, the, the goal here is to take a similar approach, laying out the different pieces we see in a complex topic uh, for you to develop an informed opinion. And uh, we'll sprinkle in some of our, our own takes as well. Yeah, I'm excited, James. With that, uh, let's dive into the first topic of the podcast. Let's talk about what is maybe a semi-hot button topic, the whole um, Zoom fiasco about how they got, they changed their terms behind the scenes and people got a little bit mad about it. Um, so let's let's maybe dive in. James, you want to give a little bit of context? Like, do you want to set it up? Yeah, so... I think it was when I was looking to the background on, on the subject, the terms of service changed in March, I think, and it was kind of recently in, in July that over the weekend, I guess, someone was interested in Zoom's terms <laughs> of service. I don't know who uh, reads those things, uh, unless someone was doing some sort of research. And in the terms of service, it said they had, I don't have the exact words, but they had like the the rights to use uh, customer content, I think was the phrase, something like that, in, um, in... Yeah, I'm just pulling that up. For use in their AI models or something? So I think they had a couple of sections in their contract. One was, it's called the Permitted Users and Customer License Grant. And then there was another one, which was kind of about like how service generated data is used. But I think basically they made their language kind of super open-ended where it said something to the tune of like, they can do whatever the hell they want with customer data. And it pointed to like a very vague privacy statement, which was like second linked from the, uh, from the terms page. Uh, but essentially I think the way that they had written it was they could do what they want with customer data. Um, and that so includes training for like, you know, AI training. And so it was, it was broad, but also the other thing was opting out, right? Sorry to cut you off there, but it's like, it was, it was broad usage and yeah. there was no yeah, way to that's opt right. out. There was no just... way to opt out. Yep, that's right. So I think this happened, uh, the particular reporting around this happened on this August 6th by this like, I don't know how famous they are. It's called Stack Diary. I looked at the traffic. It's like half a million people go to this website um, a month. Is it a blog or news or? I think it's more like a blog that covers a bunch of like, they have a few different topics around like, you know, web dev, design, AI and stuff. So it seems kind of semi-blog, semi-news article related. And these guys picked it up on the 6th of August someone picked it up and then retweeted the story and it got like pretty viral. 
Um, so it's kind of interesting to see like what happened after that, right? Do you want to kind of maybe narrate like what was the sequence of events after this got picked up? I you might have to interject because I might not have them all. All right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right. So so let me let me let me take a step with this. So basically, August sixth, this article gets published on Stack Diary. On August seventh, somebody finds this, tweets this out, goes pretty viral. Uh, Zoom goes in like full damage control mode and. Uh, Interestingly, like what they did was publish this blog article on the Zoom blog, which kind of said something to the tune of like, hey, these changes, like don't worry about them. Uh, by the way, here are a couple of specific examples of features where, you know, we do use data for like training. And one is the meeting summary feature where, you know, if you're like sign up for this particular feature, they will give you like a summary of... Um, what came out of the meeting after the meeting which is it's, it's like i think i remember a, a transcription feature in zoom i was impressed by that was true. able to transcribe but there's an evolution of that it summarizes the transcript yeah that's that's, that's that sounds right yeah i think they're kind of branding this as like zoom iq is like the broad umbrella for like what they're trying to do uh and then i think they had one more feature which had something to do with like automatic zoom has some kind of a slack type product and they have like an auto draft of replies so these were like the two zoom iq features that they talked about and zoom basically on their blog said something to the tune of like hey like yeah it looks like our privacy is uh, privacy policy is a little bit loose but like hey in reality we're not doing any of this and i think there are a little bit of their misstep was probably that where they landed was their privacy policies that they could do whatever the hell they want and then they had their blog which is like oh we could do whatever the hell we want but we're not actually doing it we're only using this for like two specific things uh and then that was followed by an actual change in their privacy policy and they now have a line in their policy real quick yeah um, so just for the timeline you said the article was published on the 6th you talked about how on the 7th they're in damage control mode so yeah. the 6th was a sunday 7th yeah. is a monday so you can see uh, Zoom was actually at work on Monday, and then now they're doing more stuff to to cover cover their cover themselves. I, I guess multiple things are happening on the seventh. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty spot on. Um, so finally, it looks like they did make a correction to their terms, right? And the terms now explicitly has something which says to the tune of like, Zoom does not use any of your audio, video, chat, screen sharing, blah blah blah, to train Zoom or third-party artificial intelligence models. So this was like super damage control mode. Their CEO on the August 8th, which I guess was a Tuesday, he makes a LinkedIn post where he's like, hey, this was like a misfire on, you know, Zoom's part. It was a process failure is what he says um, and that they're fixing this immediately. Yeah, the process failure sounds like company speak for <laughs> uh, we're looking for an excuse. Uh, I wonder, you know, yeah. I guess not everyone makes a decision around every decision at a company and so I don't know what yeah. process you have to check your, That's your license terms or I don't know. I, I wonder what process failed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I guess in like all fairness to Zoom, you know, they did course correct pretty quickly. It's like August 6th was the first publish, 7th is like when this went popular. And then I think this whole issue was resolved by like August 11th, which is a pretty impressive, you know, at least they didn't try to safe face they were like you know we screwed up and this is the solution which i think is you know probably like pretty commendable for them i mean and also maybe some some implication there could be that 
you know, if it was super important to them, they probably would have doubled down, right? There's probably some amount of, if they really wanted it and it's so core to their business, they they wouldn't have given it up or they would have, uh, wouldn't have been so, uh, what's the word? Um, Explicit in their terms of saying, we do not use this to train models. So they would have hand-waved. So like, let's take a step back. I know, uh, James, you did a little bit of digging. Like, what is, like, lay this out for us. Like, what is the, where does Zoom fit in today? Like, where does, what does the competitor landscape look like? I know they've had kind of a pretty tough time uh, competing against, like, Google and Microsoft Teams, which has been a pretty serious competitor for them. Yeah, I, I could maybe start with a comparison and then maybe bring it back and talk about how how Zoom describes their customers in their earnings letter. Yeah. So, you know, everyone's first thought of, you know, video conferencing at work is probably whichever company you currently work at, what they use as, as a tool. Where I work, it's, we use Google Meets. So yeah. for me, I only ever in a Zoom call if we're <laughs> talking to another company and they use Zoom. And we're always complaining about it. <laughs> you know, you're, never, you're never set up. You have some weird name in, in Zoom because you one time, you know, had a phone call with friends or something. Um, but yeah, so you kind of talked about like who in my mind are like the main competitors on video conferencing or like kind of workspace stuff, which is uh, Google. Google Workspace is, I guess, their brand and Microsoft, which is uh, Microsoft 365. Yeah. Uh, and they have different pricing tiers. Um, it seems like the, the different pricing tiers for their visible online stuff, excluding their enterprise yep. uh, pricing tiers. But like, what do you, what's your, what's your initial read on them? Like is Zoom, you know, more or less expensive? They have like more or less features? Like where does kind of Zoom fit in this competitive landscape? Yeah, well, frankly, when, when we were talking prior, I was, I, my, my, the way I expressed it was like, <laughs> who the hell's paying for Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Zoom offers some general office things uh, or yeah uh, like email and calendar as part of their their video conferencing and, and chat which you mentioned earlier uh, but they obviously you never heard of um, uh, them offering other things like uh, some sort of word processor or slides I think I think I remember seeing in their their investor yeah. press they're working on it but in, so yeah. eventually we can all uh, bask in the glory of, of zoom docs <laughs> but uh, but for now they don't have it and price wise um, imagine there's three tiers online uh, uh, available online not including the enterprise kind of sales aspect and zoom's bottom tier matches up price wise similar to where Google and Microsoft's middle tiers match up interesting so basically they're charging about the same amount of money but going against essentially like Google and Google Workspace and Microsoft 365, which has, you know, pretty insane amount of like distribution power. Yeah, and I would even yeah. say Microsoft and Google, probably more of a competition with themselves, but they're, they, they're like significantly undercutting Zoom by, it's yeah. like half the price. Yeah. Uh, you know, by essentially bundling something for free, which is, you know, Zoom is selling as a separate product. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and you know, Google offers like, more storage and Microsoft's like we got desktop apps but in general those, that's kind of Zoom's expensive and you I feel like you don't get most much bang for your buck but if yeah. your folks yeah. at your company like their video yeah. software yeah I do feel like there's probably people who actually feel pretty passionately about Zoom so mm-hmm. yeah I get why uh, that would work yeah wow. another anecdote we had earlier was, <laughs> was uh, how maybe Zoom's like the 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 like power user version of a video conferencing software and the other ones are kind of like after after thoughts uh and 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 you might compare that to like excel being the original uh 
you know, spreadsheet software and, and power, powerful uh, in how you can do people might be used to the, the, the macros and the key bindings there and, and, that makes and sense. they feel yeah. out of place in, in Google Sheets. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess it makes sense that like, you know, like Zoom kind of needs to go aggressive with something like generative AI features where you know they want to have continue having like a more differentiated like product experience. Yeah, um, they're seeing competition on that on the generative AI things. I think, and I forget the name of their conferences, but both Microsoft and Google announced, "Oh, look at all this yeah. stuff that will automatically it will make you super lazy at work, and <laughs> your, your boss will think they're talking to you because <laughs> we're generating these slide decks and messages for you." That's so wild. What is, um, I know you looked into this, James, like what's, so when I think about Zoom, I always kind of maybe assumed it's like there are more people who kind of use it for like side gig kind of purposes. And then maybe there's also like enterprise customers. Like what, what does the distribution look like? Yeah, they, they categorize it in two ways in their most recent uh, earnings things. They, 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 they describe part of it as online and uh, that's uh, people who sign up for Zoom via their website kind of on a self-serve basis. Yeah. Like, hey, I need video conferencing and I don't mind. I really want Zoom, so I'm going to pay yeah. Their, yeah. their expensive price. And then they categorize uh, anyone who buys uh, their product via their sales force. Uh, so, uh, like, there's a request more info, you know, sales form on their website or... They also say they, they put it into channel partners so other people selling for them or they might have independent software vendors. I don't know what the breakdown of these these or these different categories are, but they bundle all those together and is enterprise customers, yep. which uh, we have to be careful. Enterprise customers is just their word for it. It's not doesn't necessarily mean they're uh, a certain size or, or not. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I think if I remember correctly, you said it's roughly like 50-50 enterprise and uh, non-enterprise. A little bit more, like 57% enterprise yeah. on a revenue basis yeah. for in their most recent earnings. Yeah. Uh, and you know they have some other breakdowns to try to give their investors a sense of like, yeah. well, how much th- these enterprise customers, it's, it's, they're not necessarily a certain size. Well, how can we give investors some insight on like, do we just beholden to a few, few whale companies? <laughs> Uh, or, or is it a, a good spread? So it's uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's not sense. it's not a. They have over a thousand thousands thousands of, of customers. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, and then if I if I based on what we dug in, it looks like the contract changes only apply to like the non enterprise part of it because I'm guessing you know enterprise customers aren't agreeing to like online terms. Yeah, that 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 exactly that. Um, yeah. I I felt. In fact, the the LinkedIn post from Zoom CEO uh, th- that was the most you know, felt the, the least like a company PR speak in his post was he said pretty clearly that these term these change in terms applied to Zoom online customers. Yeah, so again, this, the self serve eyes behind up on the website, and that the um, uh, enterprise customers have a different agreement. You know, probably still yep. similar from customer to customer, but they'll have a separate agreement that. Presumably, yep. their customers' legal teams should have seen that and then, <laughs> and said, "No, we don't agree to that that component." Uh, yeah. So I think that while still fifty percent uh, ish uh, on a revenue basis of Zoom's customers were affected by this terms change, it does yep. I think put in a perspective of yep. uh, you know who who would have been really impacted by them train, training on um, 
on on this data. It wouldn't be yeah. like a large company with trade secrets. It might yeah. be a small company with trade secrets. <laughs> but I, I, to me, it seems like a, a lesser impact when it's when it's. Yeah, that's a good point. But I I guess like I can see why you know sixty percent of your business is coming from enterprises, and you are getting this like insane PR storm of privacy risk. You probably want to quash it pretty quickly before you freak out your customers. Yeah, for sure. I, I can yeah. imagine the, uh, the CEO probably was getting phone calls from, from friends that work at, high up at other companies and asking what the hell the deal was. And, but the whole time they had different terms. And, you know, yeah. when you're a decision maker, you don't necessarily know, oh, we have a separate contract for yeah. everything. And so That's true. probably was a, a shitstorm for him. So this brings up an interesting question. Like, you know, as, as companies start thinking, you know, more and more about building features that might be more AI based or like generative AI based. Like there's probably like an intricate balance of like, you know, how do you actually have enough data to train these features and kind of the ability to use the data that's available to you versus also kind of being thoughtful about what your customers care about, you know? So that's, that's an interesting challenge that this one brought up and I'm kind of thinking about like, what is the right line? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, I think some things you see in some places is you do get something back for uh, for the, the data you're letting being used for uh, for tra- uh, ML model training. Uh, so think, like basically some sort of like a quid pro quo. Yeah, exactly. Like right? I think yeah. the example you brought up when we chatted about this uh, originally was uh, Shopify audiences where uh, if you want to be able to advertise against uh, Shopify, people that are buying stuff on Shopify across yeah. Shopify, regardless yeah. of which merchant, you as a merchant need to uh, give your data or yeah. the data that happens with interactions with your, your merchant site yeah. so that you can benefit from advertising uh, against people who interact with other merchant sites. Yeah, that's a really fascinating idea. I mean, just, just, just so we like get this right so it's like you're an SMB, let's say you have, you know, like a ski a gear store or whatever, and then you sell a bunch of stuff. You have, you know, emails of customers that have actually bought from you and stored as like another outdoor gear store. And now essentially both of you kind of saying like, hey, here's my Shopify, here's my data. Here's people that I'm telling you are interested in my gear because they bought with me and so does the other SMB merchant and essentially they're kind of pooling this data and now Shopify knows that hey here's like a few tens of thousands of people that are actually interested in that gear yeah I think that's a good description uh, yeah. and theoretically Shopify is providing this service to these customers yeah. anyway there's, there's, there's unlikely that this small gear company you know outdoor sports company would be able to uh, build their own AI model yeah, to you know, infer what based on some contextual behavior yeah. or like ingest some sort of external um, signal to, to run good marketing. I think it's it's a clear value add from Shopify, yeah, uh, which totally. which I, I wonder, you know, can we apply that same lens to Zoom, right? So yeah. you gave the examples earlier about um, them uh, using this training to improve their Zoom IQ was the brand for their, their AI initiatives. Yeah. Do, what do you think about, is a customer getting enough out of that feature for them to be That's able to be offering up their content? Yeah, that's a good point. I guess there's also a question of like how much of this needs to be explicit versus not. Like I know in, in Zoom's case, they probably responded pretty aggressively where it's like, hey, here's like a checkbox. You can like uh, uncheck it when you like sign up for this feature. But is there a line of like, you know, should should there be certain circumstances when where it's okay for companies to actually like use this data? 
like we talked about the example of like gmail smart compose for example right like let's say you are a google workspace enterprise customer you use gmail there's a smart compose feature you know and does it it probably makes sense for google to actually like look at how people are using smart compose and like you know train their smart compose models or something like that better so yeah that's probably like an interesting line there of what's okay and not i mean which is i say argue would be almost what zoom presumably would be doing is one of the features they call out is a similar smart compose yeah. aspect and, yeah and um, you know I, I think the the i guess the opt-out is important it seems i think i think it was pretty clear about all the all the the backlash in the news is the the as they, they try to change the terms as quickly as possible, they try mm-hmm. to outline, oh, the opt-out's there. Don't forget to use the opt-out. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I guess there's maybe some sort of uh, cultural expectation that we want to be able to opt-out from these AI features. I think maybe uh, one one thing in the background is, you know, like we'll see if this podcast lasts yep. 20, 30 years, but I'm sure <laughs> AI is, is it's a very hot topic right now, and it's, it's, yep. it's will probably evolve a lot over the years, but these are kind of like early days in... Uh, an AI wave, you know, we've had previous AI waves, but this yeah. is this one, and it's new to all of us, and, and so what, what, um, what's okay and what's not, and, you know, this yeah. could be a little bit of an overreaction. That's true. I think, I think it would definitely be interesting to see, like, are there specific types of companies which are more proactive about it? Like, maybe, you know, as a B2B SaaS company, you probably need to be a lot more conservative about how you're using customer data. Um, both of us, like, worked in, like, ad tech a bunch. Like, we've definitely seen situations where nobody is voluntarily giving up data uh especially like you know like facebook pixel or like google for example had this pixel which is this piece of code that fires whenever a user like you know buys a transaction on like a particular website or something and for the longest time google would essentially like pull this data like the default was that users the the default was that google can use the data from any customer okay. that uses this pixel. Any business that was using Google for advertising exactly, um, right. would yeah. have the data that happened on their site, is what you're right. saying. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, let's say Macy's had a Google pixel and then Nordstrom had a Google pixel. Google would essentially like suck in all of this data and uh, kind of quid pro quo was like, hey, we just take your data by default. And then the only reason they actually changed this recently through like something called restricted data processing is because the California law kicked in which essentially kind of forced their hand in having to give, you know, advertisers that control. So it's probably like an interesting dichotomy of companies where maybe in the B2B SaaS world, there's a more proactive approach about this, whereas in a lot of other com- other types of companies there isn't. Yeah, certainly. I think, I think one of the first ways or first framings you and I brainstormed about this issue was, oh, is there a difference between B2B and B2C, which is what yeah, you were just describing. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think what I liked about uh, you referring to ad tech is it's, it's a little more fuzzy when it comes to consumers, <laughs> but uh, consumers don't understand the amount of value they get out of uh, having ad-supported products where That's true. a yeah. business can make a reasonable amount of money off ad-supported product and you as a user most likely don't want to pay the amount that they pay. And I think everyone's experiencing that right now with, with um, price hikes for streaming services is the yep. go-to example yeah, is, is as, as uh, the ad tiers are coming in, uh, they're realizing how much money they can make off the ad tiers. And so they're trying to push people to ad tiers or, you know, pay up. And so I think there's a little bit of that where, uh, 
as a consumer from the B2B B2C standpoint, yeah. you're getting the value of, you know, your favorite streaming service, uh, quote unquote for free because you see yeah. some ads and the only way to do that ads is via processing your data. So then the B2B aspect, what's the quid pro quo, you know, what's acceptable. It, it yeah. feels a little bit, it feels weird to me. I don't know what the right words are that, yeah. y- that you would have an ad supported business product. I think we're used to like a business needs to pay, yeah. uh, a consumer is trying to get something free and you know, there's, yeah, probably because there's price sensitivity in consumers and businesses yeah. are busy making their, their money elsewhere and just want something yeah. that works. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's like specific types of features where it feels like less intrusive. Like with in the case of Zoom, it's like your voice, your video, which probably feels like more invasive for someone to just take that and train on it versus, you know, smart compose on Gmail probably feels like less of a privacy invasion. Yeah, there's definitely a, um, a visceral human, like, yeah. <laughs> let's say lizard brain reaction to my voice, my image, no, from like, you know, the, the, the BS email you're writing your boss or, or a That's colleague, fair. like you're, yeah, you know, you, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything special in the end. That's true. Um, cool. So let's wrap this up. So maybe, you know, what's, 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 what's your takeaways from this? I can, I can take a step at it, but like, oh. Go for it. I guess for from my perspective, uh, I think I, I found after I dug in, I felt a little like it was no big deal. I think that yeah, I, I think that's a fair thing. I, I expressed it earlier when I was saying that it was only applying to online yeah. customers. Yeah, you know, so these are by definition likely small. Like even some of Zoom's enterprise, what they classify as enterprise. Remember, you know scroll back and, and listen to how I described that. <laughs> I feel like some of those enterprise customers are, are fairly small as well. And so yeah, to me, it seems fair. like a non-issue that like a self-serve, you know, ostensibly business product, but really not too dissimilar for how you sign up to a consumer product yeah, uh, where fair. you're kind of beholden to the company's standard terms. Uh, they change the terms. You get email about it, you know, like pay attention if it's really important to you. I, I feel like not too big of an issue. Theoretically, this is going to apply to like, you know, to quote unquote real businesses, uh, <laughs> which probably isn't fair to all the people that are yeah. affected by it, but yeah, I, I think totally. to me it, it seems like a less of a big deal when I when I found out that component. Yeah, I think that's a fair take. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Um, it, I, I think I was pretty impressed by the rate at which they like responded to this and actually like owned up the mistake, and then they were like, "Hey, here's here's what we're doing to fix it." Um, and I definitely think that there's some like interesting takeaways. We'll probably see more and more of this come up with these kind of features coming up where we'll probably see like a diversity of approaches coming where maybe the Shopify audiences example we talked about where there's maybe a more explicit quid pro quo versus, you know, the smart compose example where maybe there's a more implicit quid pro quo and like less visible reaction so people are okay with giving access to that data. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this landscape evolves. Yeah. And looking forward to it.